I have two sons in Russia. My eldest is an entrepreneur and my youngest is a student, says Nargiz, a mother from Aini in northwestern Tajikistan. She sounds both proud and worried. The decision to let her children move to Russia didn't come easily, and Nargiz struggles with it to this day. Her husband disappeared in Russia in the late 2000s after he went there in search of employment. Hearing about the harassment and mistreatment they've faced for years has been so hard, Nargiz says, referring to her sons. Then, after the start of the war, they were telling me about the ads they saw around promising an easier path to Russian citizenship, and I begged them not to do anything stupid. Nargiz pauses before adding, I keep wondering if letting them stay in Russia was a bad decision, and if my kids could disappear like their father. Nargiz and countless other parents across Central Asia have every reason to worry for their sons in Russia these days. In mid-August, police across the country began rounding up hundreds of migrant workers from Central Asia in a wave of raids that appeared to mainly target men who had recently acquired Russian citizenship but didn't complete their compulsory military registration. According to media reports, police have handed out military summonses on the spot and forcibly taken men to enlistment offices. There, they face the risk of joining the many migrants from Central Asia already working in the Russian-occupied territories of Ukraine or fighting on the front lines. Welcome to The Naked Pravda. Welcome back to The Naked Pravda, Medusa's English language podcast. I'm Eilish Hart, your host for this week and the editor of The Beat, Medusa's weekly long-reads newsletter covering Central and Eastern Europe, the Caucasus, and Central Asia. Our first guest on today's show is freelance journalist Sher Hashimov, the author of a recent article for The Beat about Russia's covert effort to conscript newly naturalized citizens, specifically draft-age men from Central Asia, who typically come to Russia as migrant workers. The introduction you heard at the top of the show was taken from that story, so if you haven't read it yet, you can check it out on Medusa's website either before or after listening to this episode. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to The Beat if you haven't already. And now, on with the show. So your story centers around a string of police raids that took place in Russia in August, and these appeared to primarily target newly naturalized Russian citizens and draft-age Central Asian men in particular. Could you start by explaining what we know about these police raids and why migrant workers from Central Asia were targeted? Yes, as you mentioned, we have been receiving media reports about a wave of police raids across Russia targeting uh, migrant communities. Targeting migrant communities is nothing new in Russia. Uh, the Russian government uses police raids to signal its ability to fight crime and fight illegal migration and keeping migrants in check in an increasingly xenophobic Russia. However, this wave of police raids seems to be targeting those Central Asian labor migrants who have recently acquired a Russian citizenship but did not complete their compulsory military registration. And the reason for that seems the apparent lack of success that Russia has been seeing in Ukraine and the acute need uh, that Russia has for more manpower in Ukraine. And in that desperate need, the Russian government has been turning to every single demographic pool that it can tap and the reason the Central Asians are a particular target is because Central Asian countries have very stagnant economies, particularly those of Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan. And uh, people there, particularly men, 
do not have that many opportunities to find income and gainful employment, and millions of them every year are forced to go to Russia to find a way to provide for their families back home. And while they're in Russia, they face discrimination and a lot of pressure to keep their papers up to date, which makes them vulnerable to recruitment efforts. Pretty much a few weeks after the invasion has started, we started receiving reports about labor migrants from Central Asia being tricked into service in Ukraine through either promising the Central Asian labor migrants an easier path to the citizenship uh, in Russia or by putting them in a situation where they needed some sort of paperwork to stay legal in Russia. And in order to get their, that paperwork, uh, they had to sign documents promising that they will go and serve in Ukraine and in the Russian military. Do we have an idea of how many Central Asians are being recruited into the Russian army? We unfortunately don't know. We can just do some uh, back-of-the-mapping calculation. Uh, so again, we know that there was a two-day raid in St. Petersburg that captured around 100 uh, Central Asian labor migrants with a citizenship and took them to the military conscription office. Similar raids happened in cities like uh, Belgorod, uh, Chibaksari, Novochibaksarovsk, Kurgan, Krasnodar, Krasnoyarsk. And in all of those cities, at least a dozen migrants in each of those raids were brought to either military conscription office or they were issued military summons. So for now, we're probably talking about hundreds across Russia. However, the true scale is hard to discern because the Russian government, since the start of the invasion of Ukraine, has been very careful at hiding who is fighting in Ukraine on behalf of Russia, the demographics, how many people are dying. And that, again, is because the Russian government is refusing to call the war and is refusing to admit the true scale of losses that it is suffering on the battlefields in Ukraine. In your story, you talked about recent shifts in official rhetoric and proposed legislative changes that are seemingly being made to facilitate this type of covert mobilization of new citizens. Could you talk a bit about that? That's very true. The Russian government has been giving hints since the start of the invasion of Ukraine that they're going to adjust certain laws to make for different groups of people in Russia to serve in the Russian military. And one of those groups that the Russian government has been mentioning in its rhetoric are the labor migrants from Central Asia, or in general, labor migrants. And that rhetoric has escalated over this past year, or this past summer. Lawmakers started speaking about introducing changes to Russian laws about acquiring citizenship that make it easier to apply pressure on those who just acquired the citizenship to go and serve in the military. And so what it resulted in is uh, Mikhail Matveev, one of the Russian lawmakers, introduced an amendment to the law on citizenship suggesting that those who evade military mobilization and refuse to serve in uh, Russian military forces, if they recently acquire that citizenship, that citizenship will be taken away from them. And the way that Mikhail Matveev, the lawmaker who introduced that amendment, the way he justified it is that he thinks that there are all these millions of Central Asian migrants who acquire the citizenship and they take advantage of all the services and the social safety net that the Russian government provides, yet they avoid the responsibility that that citizenship bestows upon them. 
Veromenda was accompanied by statements from other uh, Russian politicians. Valery Fadeev, the head of the Russian Human Rights Council, which is very ironic, suggested that issuing Russian passports to new citizens should be accompanied by immediate compulsory military registration. He didn't clarify how that process is going to be implemented, but he suggested that his office of the Human Rights Council can assist in implementing some sort of procedure that would make it easier for those who just acquired citizenship to immediately be conscripted into the army. Another statement that kind of raised the alarm among the migrant community was one by Alexei Zhuravlev, who is part of the parliament's defense committee, who even suggested that the Russian government should not be trying to convince the recently minted Russian citizens to join the military, but that those should just be taken to service by force. And the police raids that we are witnessing across Russia are simply a manifestation of this escalated rhetoric and these proposed changes to the law about uh, Russian citizenship. You interviewed legal experts, migrant rights defenders, but you also spoke to migrant workers themselves. And so I wanted to ask how they viewed these police raids and these shifts in official rhetoric. For one, it was very difficult to find sources for the story because naturally all these migrants there are scared. They're scared of the government. They're scared of speaking up. They also come from countries where there is very low trust in the media. And so recruiting sources and getting them to open up and gaining that, their trust for that story or for any other story that has to do with uh, migration to Russia is always difficult. Now with these police raids, there is a new layer of complication when pursuing this kind of story. When I was speaking to migrants, what they said is pretty complicated. For one, obviously, they don't want to go and die on the battlefields in Ukraine. At the same time, they have a very complicated relationship with Russia. Part of it has to do with the fact that Central Asian republics were part of the Soviet Union, and Russia still looms very largely in the mindset of Central Asians as this you know, former metropole, as the former cultural, economic, political center of their country. And it still looms large as a place where they can go and at least find some sort of employment and some sort of social safety net. And so there is a certain sense of gratitude towards Russia, but at the same time, there is a certain sense of resentment for all of the daily discrimination and abuse that they face in an attempt to just live their lives and just provide for their families. Also, there is an attempt to just be a law-abiding citizen and understanding that each country has its own laws. And if you come to a country and that country takes you in and gives you its citizenship and allows you to work there and send money back home, that it kind of puts you in a position where you should follow the laws of that country. So uh, the conversations with these migrants were very nuanced and complicated, and they express all these very complicated feelings where they don't want to go and die. At the same time, they understand that Russia is fighting this war, and they don't pass judgment on that war either. They call this war high-level politics that they do not want to engage in, and they just want to live their lives. And so it's just been very interesting to talk to them about everything that is happening. At this point, you might be wondering about the bigger picture. Given all the risks that come with living and working in Russia— 
especially against the backdrop of Moscow's full-scale war against Ukraine, why is it still such a popular destination for migrant workers from Central Asia? For answers to this and other questions, I turned to Timur Umarov, a fellow at the Carnegie Russia-Eurasia Center in Berlin. To understand why Russia is such a popular destination for Central Asian migrants, we should go back to the 90s when a huge country named Soviet Union collapsed and on the cracks of it, there were five independent Central Asian states. Economic situation in all post-Soviet states was catastrophic in the beginning of 90s, mostly because the structure of economy had to change very quickly for every independent state, and many people lost their jobs, especially considering that during Soviet times, you had the government as the main employer. With the collapse of it, you had many jobs being just lost. And considering that Central Asian countries back then had already a demographic surplus, this surplus was additional burden for the newly independent Central Asian states. So the natural thing to do was to go somewhere else where there was an opportunity. And naturally, it was Russia because, first of all, obviously, these all countries were part of one united country and everyone knew about the culture, how everything works in Russia. Everyone knew Russian. Not everyone, of course, but the majority of population of Central Asian states. and. Most importantly, it was very easy to get to Russia. Um, you had all of the railways, roads directed towards the north. You had, you know, airlines, even everything. So the Central Asian countries were connected. And Russia's economy was much bigger than Central Asian economies. That's why it could have host many more new migrants. So starting from even at the beginning of the 90s, we see the flow of migrants to Russia. And the number of people who used Russia as their uh, main destination for work started to uh, grow in late 2010s and became record high right before COVID. Right now, we normally have every year around 7, 10 million people from Central Asian countries who work in Russia um, during the main seasons of uh, the warm weather. And this is something that um, Central Asian political regimes also depend on because, you know, migration is not something that only Russia needs um, as a country that has a crisis in its uh, demographics. But also it's something that Central Asian political regimes need for their stability, because when we speak about migration, we normally speak about young male population from Central Asian countries going somewhere and finding jobs and not, you know, living in their own hometowns and being a source of destabilization because young population without a job is always a problem for, for any government. But unfortunately, it's a very difficult atmosphere to work in Russia, first of all, just because it's very cold. And uh, this is something that Central Asian people are not used to, specifically uh, those who come from countries like Tajikistan or Uzbekistan, which are geographically in the southern regions. For those people working in Russian Siberia or uh, the northern cities of Russia is a nightmare. Second of all, the atmosphere of 
society is very hostile because Russia just doesn't have the migration policy, most importantly, doesn't have the policy of integrating migrants into the Russian society. Russia uses migrants as a short-term resource for achieving its certain goals. For example, if we look at what's happening right now in Ukraine, we see a lot of evidence that Russian government uses migrants on the front line. There have been a number of evidence uh, collected by independent media that's you know proves that hundreds of uh, Central Asian migrants are being forced to join Russian army to go to the war in Ukraine. But even before that, if we go back to, for example, 2014, and Russia's main priority for its foreign policy was the Olympics in Sochi, it was also, you know, able to be organized thanks to the migrants. Take any event that was a priority for Russia. It was not possible to prepare and organize without the help of uh, Central Asian migrants. The government doesn't think of migrants as people, rather it thinks of them as resources. And this attitude towards migrants is being spread from the government across the population. And later on, you see different evidence of how Russians treat Central Asian migrants. And because of that, you have a lot of clashes between local population and migrants. So, And so to sort of fast forward and bring us up to today, how has Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine affected its ability to attract migrant workers? At the very beginning, it seemed that from the moment Russia started the full-scale invasion, it will become a state that is no longer able to attract anyone to come to its territory. But uh, it's been already almost two years since the war has started, and we see that migrants from Central Asian countries are continuing to flow into Russian labor market. The main reason behind that is that, first of all, Russia's economy is not in cracks, as it was thought to be in the very beginning. Sanctions, of course, damaged Russian future development, but haven't been able to damage its stability at the moment. Russian ruble, of course, isn't that stable as it used to be before February 2022, but still, you know, pretty much stays afloat. And the instruments that Russian banks um, and the connections that Russian banks have with Central Asian banks and also huge gray area network of migrants that exists between Central Asian countries and Russia allows migrants to send money that they earned in Russia back home. So all of this together and with addition of the recovery from the pandemic becomes a reality in which Central Asian migrants are coming to Russia in even more numbers than they used to before the invasion and slightly before that as well. Even if Russia is much less attractive than it used to be, it still is the main source of income outside of their hometown. I want to take a step back to the story we published in The Beat, which focused largely on migrant workers who had decided to obtain Russian citizenship 
and are now under pressure to complete their compulsory military registration and to enlist in the Russian army. Also against, you know, the backdrop of Russia's war in Ukraine, we've seen Putin issue a decree that offered fast-track citizenship to foreign nationals who sign on for a year of military service. So why might this appeal to migrants from Central Asia? What are the benefits of getting Russian citizenship, and specifically at this juncture? For Central Asian migrants, Russia it still is a very hostile country to be a foreigner in. You face racism, uh, you're being checked everywhere you go. You have to have all of your documents with you uh, that prove that you're legally working in Russia. Or if you work illegally, you're under stress every minute that you might be sent back home and being deported for five years. And for five years, it means that you won't have income and your family would be starving. So it's a very stressful situation. And the only thing that can release this stress is to legalize in the long term. Passport allows to do that. Many people are ready to get Russian passports because even right now, when Russia is you know, the main aggressor in this world, Russian passport is stronger than Central Asian one. Even if you take Kazakhstan, which is the most developed country in Central Asia and has much more connectable to the world than other Central Asian republics, Kazakhstan's passport is still not as strong as Russian. It doesn't allow you to go to many different places as Russian one. And, you know, this is something that is attractive for Central Asian migrants. First of all, this passport allows you to stay wherever you want inside Russia. And, you know, the police and all other seas and government institutions would not be discriminating you because of your documents. Second of all, it allows you to have access to government service, to healthcare, to education. If you have a family, it allows you to get your kids to school for free and you don't have to bribe anyone. It's just something that the government has to provide you with. And most importantly, it just broadly gives you much more opportunities than your Central Asian passport. But of course, with the war, many things has changed. And those people who previously migrated to Russia, uh, for example, for education and then found jobs and started to get their passports right now are, you know, limited in the number of opportunities that they thought they would have access to. And right now, even are under threat to be conscripted to the Russian army, which in some cases means death. So when Central Asian people were massively getting Russian passports, they have never thought that they will have to deal with geopolitical news and have to be aware of what Russia is doing uh, with its neighbors. But with the war in Ukraine, of course, it has become something very dangerous. And many people whom I know personally from Russia and some people who share their stories with many independent media are trying to go back home, leave Russia. Some are trying to get rid of Russian passport and recover their Central Asian passport and trying to escape. Not everyone is able to do that. 
especially considering that many people invested a lot into their migration, especially if we talk about not seasonal migration, but the migration that was long-term planned and people moved to Russia with families and sold everything that they had um, in Central Asia and invested everything into the education of their kids, et cetera, et cetera. But those people, of course, it's a new, um, you know, crisis and they have to think their whole lives and the lives of their families from the scratch. Before the invasion of Ukraine, acquiring a Russian citizenship was definitely an asset. It eases the discrimination and abuse that they face daily and it's allows them not to have to pursue a myriad of interlinked interlinked documents uh, related to their residency and their work permits and other aspects of their daily life in Russia. Now, with the invasion of Ukraine and this threat of being sent to the battlefield and potentially dying there, that is changing the calculus of labor migrants. Now they're viewing having a Russian citizenship as somewhat of a liability. And we heard that both from migrants themselves, as well as from the experts who work among labor migrant communities and who study migration in Eurasia. I spoke to Dr. Karas Schenk, for example, who is a professor at the Nazarbayev University in Kazakhstan and who studies the politics of migration in Eurasia. And judging from her conversations with uh, Kyrgyz and Kazakh labor migrants, they're starting to rethink whether they should apply for Russian citizenship, whether they should stay in Russia, whether there are safer options for them to pursue income and employment. And I think we're going to see a slight adjustment of our migration patterns because of what is going on. It probably won't be anything significant because Russia still remains, unfortunately, the best option for acquiring employment and income for Central Asians. But I think we're going to see a diversification of migration routes from Central Asia. We have been seeing it since the start of the pandemic, and I think that trend is only going to grow. There's also been media reports about migrant workers from Central Asia being hired and sent to work in Russian-occupied areas of Ukraine. What do we know about the kinds of jobs and incentives that they're being offered there? And do we have an idea of how that compares to the reality on the ground and the conditions that they're being sent to live and work in? So among those who do not have a Russian citizenship yet, I think there are two main groups that are being targeted. One group is those Central Asian labor migrants who have only a residency permit and whose being in Russia is at risk uh, because once that residency permit expires, they might get kicked out unless they work to extend that permit. Another large group are those who are serving out a prison sentence in Russia. As we understand, there are literally thousands of Central Asians who are serving out a prison sentence in Russia at the moment. The exact numbers are hard to come by, but those essentially are the two groups that are being targeted. With the first group, those who do not have a citizenship, they are being offered a range of incentives varying between a simplified path to the citizenship to higher salaries to essentially a simplification of the bureaucratic paperwork and burden they have to face every day. For the second group, those who are in prison in Russia, uh, the incentives that they are being offered are amnesty and 
essentially an opportunity to leave prison and go and work and become a free man. The type of jobs that are being offered range from a direct military service on the front lines in Ukraine or serving off of battlefields, essentially helping the Russian government reconstruct the areas that they captured from Ukraine and essentially bombarded them to hell and those areas need to be rebuilt, you know, basic infrastructure, living facilities, roads, all of that. So these are the type of jobs that are being offered. And quite a few migrants agree and take up on the offer. Uh, there have been several investigations into who has agreed to do those jobs. Uh, there's There's been investigation by BBC. Uh, there was a very good investigation by Kloop, an investigative outlet from Kyrgyzstan. Uh, the Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty has done its own investigation as well. And as we understand, at least 93 Central Asians have died in Ukraine so far, and that's probably an underreported number. Many, many more are still serving in Ukraine, and they are trying to pursue those incentives of a higher wage, an easier path to citizenship, or even just being let out of prison. What about sort of at the level of international politics? Is Russia's recruitment of Central Asian migrants to work and fight in Ukraine damaging ties with Central Asian countries in any way? Is it an issue that Central Asian officials have raised concerns about? This is a very tricky question because all of the Central Asian countries have a very complicated relationship with Russia, and there is a lot of dependence on Russia. And Central Asian governments are walking a tight rope between trying to protect their own interests and not angering Russia. Uh, and so they have been very careful both not to express support for the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but also in protecting their interests without tripping any wires. Um, however, a couple of the countries have been very explicit about how they feel about their citizens going and serving in uh, Ukraine. As soon as we started getting reports of Central Asian labor migrants going to Ukraine, the governments of Uzbekistan and Tajikistan made it very clear that those who become mercenaries in a foreign army will have to face a significant prison sentence if they ever return back home. So those who do not have Russian citizenship but end up in Ukraine, now they're facing a threat of imprisonment back in their home countries. With those who have a dual citizenship, say a Tajik citizenship and a Russian citizenship, there it is a bit tricky because Tajikistan and Russia have an agreement about the dual citizenship that does not explicitly prohibit those who have both the Tajik and Russian citizenship from serving in the Russian military. And because Tajiks are probably the biggest diaspora of labor migrants from Central Asia, in Russia, the Russian government will probably tap into that particular pool, and we should probably expect to see a lot of Tajiks in Ukraine without the Tajik government actually having some sort of way of holding those migrants back and prohibiting them from serving in Ukraine. I would say that the war in Ukraine and Russia's invasion is damaging its soft power in Central Asia. It's damaging Russia's reputation in Central Asia. It's damaging Russia's influence among the society. 
But when we speak about the connections between the political regimes and the political elites of Russia and Central Asian ones, it's not happening. Elites are very pragmatic and in any situation, they're looking for the new opportunities and adapting to the new reality. And this is something that is happening between Russia and Central Asian elites. Right now, the governments of Central Asia understand that they have leverage in a way over very weak and isolated Russia. They understand that they are valued as partners who have not turned their backs to Russia is much higher than it used to be ever before. And they use it. And they also understand that they are attracting a lot of attention from the West right now because these are the countries who consider it to be the orbit of Russia. And if the West is able to keep those countries as their partners and keep them away from Russia, it means that Russia would become even more isolated. So Central Asian countries are finding themselves in a very new role and are balancing between those many different new centers of influence. But if we speak about people from Central Asia, I would say for the first time, the majority of Central Asian population, especially in the northern part of it, closer you get to the Russian border. For the first time, they see Russia more as a threat rather than a partner. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been The Naked Pravda, a podcast from Medusa in English. Remember that undesirable status back in Russia means our entire news outlet now relies on readers and listeners around the world to support our work. Please visit our website for information about how to become a contributor with one-time or recurring pledges. Thanks again. Until next week.